Thank you. You may be seated. It's good to be back. Uh, we had a week of vacation, and I, I just have to say that uh, I've never been uh, experienced the fact that so many people were aware that I was on vacation and greeted us and and uh, during the week and then today. How was your vacation? Everybody talking about our vacation. And then I found out why, uh, because Pastor Mike, when he spoke last week, uh, the subject was sexual immorality, and he said that I bolted, you know, <laughs> because of that. And uh, I just want you to know I am not afraid to talk about that subject, okay? <laughs> Today, I have the privilege of talking about a subject that's even greater than that. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter four, we're working our way through this book. And I uh, just want I'll catch you up if, if it's your first time or just to remind you about the setting, about the context. Why, why does Paul write what he writes to this church in uh, Thessalonica? And now Paul had started that church in the city of Thessaloniki. It's still a city in Greece, the second most important city in Greece. And he had started the church, and many people came to Christ. And because of that, Paul actually had to flee. He had to leave town for his life because many people were coming to know Christ. And that upset some people in town. It upset the people who were uh, who tried to stop him from preaching Jesus. It upset the people who uh, belonged to a false religion because they were losing their power and they were losing their people. And it upset the people who were selling idols because they were losing money. So they threatened Paul with his life, and so Paul had to leave. Now, a couple years later, Paul was just wondering, how is that church doing? His internet was down. He couldn't check up on him. So what did he do? He sent Timothy, sent a, a, one of his uh, disciples, Timothy, to go to Thessalonica, see how the church was doing. And so Timothy came back and reported to Paul, and he told Paul all about the church there, that they were doing well, that they had remained faithful to the Lord. But Timothy also said they have some questions. They have some important questions. They have questions ultimate questions about life and death, uh, about the life to come. And so 1 Thessalonians is the letter that Paul wrote, and he's answering ultimate questions, all right? Questions like, what happens to us when we die? Questions like, when is Jesus coming back? And this question is the first one he addresses. What has happened to the believers who died, who've already died before Christ returns? What, what happened to them? And that just brings up the issue for you and for me, what happens to us? And you know, most people try not to think about that. But uh, when a dear friend or a loved one dies, then then that seems to be the time. 
And so Paul here is writing to them in, in starting chapter 4, verse 13. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you won't grieve like people who have no hope. Friend, you and I ought to be so thankful that we have a God who loves us so much that he answers the questions that really matter. He answers the ultimate questions. And we're going to look at three of them here today. And the first one is this. That, see, God has given us the revelation that we need. Now, let's define revelation. If you, I think if you ask most people what's the definition of revelation, they might say, well, I think that's a book in the Bible. Okay. But what, is it, what does revelation mean? What is that book of the Bible about? A revelation is God revealing things that we don't know. Things that we don't know and things that we can't come to know, that things that we couldn't discover on our own. This morning, can you discover what happens to you after you die? No, you can't. And so God reveals that to us. And one of the problems is we, think, we humans think we know it all, okay? That we've got all the answers, that science has all the answers, that whatever, okay? But we don't. Meteorologists, it always amuses me that in the spring, the meteorologists will give a forecast for the hurricane season, right? They say, okay, it's, and it's always an active season. You know, there's going to be an active season, and there are going to be 12 storms, and five of them are going to be named. Do you know how many times they've been right? None. I mean, you know, and I'm not picking on weathermen, but they can't even get, tell you what's going to happen today. You know, how often are they right about today's forecasts? But you see, we think, we humans think, oh, we got it all figured out. You know, we'll study it and we'll consult the scientists and the meteorologists. You know. Another example, economists. Economists predict what the stock market's going to do. How often are they right? Hardly ever. And, and this is the point that, see, no human can tell you what your future is going to be. Nobody can tell you what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Much less what's going to happen when you die. And see, for that question, if we do stop to think about it, if we do want to know, you know, half of us maybe wonder and worry about it. But I think the other half of us, we just try to avoid thinking about it. Did you think about your own death this week and what would happen after that? No, I mean, we just consume our mind with the here and now and all those, everything that's going on. 
And friend, God wants you to know. And he doesn't want you to wonder or worry or stick your head in the sand. He has given us the revelation. God's word. God's word is the only one who knows unveiling what you need to know. If you bought a brand new car one day, and the next day you go out and you turn the key and nothing happens and you jump start it and nothing happens and all those kinds of things, what would you do? Would you go up and down the street asking all your friends? Would you go online, you know, and hopefully find out? The, no, it's a brand new car. What would you do? You would take it back to the dealer as soon as possible. You'd call them up. you say, that car doesn't work. You better come tow it. You would go to the company that manufactured that car and that gave you a warranty, wouldn't you? Friend, if you want to know what's going to happen to you in your eternity, then go to the manufacturer. Go to the God who created you and the God who's given you a warranty that he is going to take care of you and protect you. Don't rely on human opinions, especially your own. We have the revelation. Rely, rely on the only one who knows your future here on earth and hereafter forever and ever. Don't guess. Don't gamble where you're going to spend eternity. Don't just hope for the best. Well, let it all work out. No, it won't work out if you don't do anything about what God has told us to do. And God says, I want you to know. And here's the revelation. Let's go on, verse 14. He's going to unpack that. What is going to happen? Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died, and was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, if you read that and it says, you know, for since we believe this, that Jesus died, that he rose, etc. And some people say, well, yeah, okay, you can believe that, but, you know, it's just wishful thinking, all right? No, we are believing what God says is true, all right? Paul's not saying, well, you, you can believe that or not. We just don't really know. No, we believe what God said is true and what God has demonstrated. Now, I also just want to say, if you have a King James Bible or a New International Version, in fact, most versions of the Bible, they translate that fallen asleep, Okay? And that is a literal tra translation. But you see, th he's using, they, in that day, they used euphuisms for death. We still do that. If somebody asks you about your parent or grandparent that, that died, what would you say? You probably wouldn't say they died. You'd say they passed away. We use euphuisms. 
And so that was, it's what it is. He's clearly referring to death. We can understand that from the context. So the question is, when we die, what happens? And a lot of people say, well, that's it. That's all there is. True? No, not at all. And friend, Jesus Christ gives us, he guarantees our resurrection. Let's go, let's go back to that car illustration. Your brand new car won't run. Okay, what do you do? You take your warranty. <laughs> you still got that paperwork. You take that warranty back to the company that made that car and sold it to you because they gave you a guarantee that if your car died, they'd resurrect it, right? When God raised his son Jesus from the dead, He's given you a guarantee that he'll resurrect you. He'll raise you. Jesus said he would. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he said a lot of things. He, he said he'd heal the sick. And I'm sure his brothers and sisters didn't believe him. And probably not many other people believed him, too. <laughs> probably no one believed he was going to heal the sick. So what did he do? He healed thousands of people. When Jesus came to earth, he said he'd drive out demons. I don't, I don't think they believed that either. So what did he do? He drove out demons. When Jesus came to earth, he told people that he was going to rise from the dead. And certainly no one believed that, even his own followers, okay? So what did he do? He rose from the dead. And so, friend, if Jesus did everything he ever said he would do, doesn't that prove that one day he'll raise you just like he said? And believer, there's no power in hell and no power on earth that will stop Jesus from raising his followers from the dead, from raising you. That's his promise. That's his guarantee. Verse 15. Paul continues, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns, that's us. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who've died. First, the believers who've already died will rise from their graves. Now here's a second reality. Jesus Christ will return. Ben Franklin said, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. My parents used to quote that to me. I don't know why, all right? Nothing certain except death and taxes. Is that true? There's a lot of people don't pay taxes until they get caught, okay? And, well, okay, yeah, okay, maybe taxes aren't certain, but death is, right? Mortality rate is 100%, isn't it? Well, not quite. There are two men in the Bible that never died. Enoch and Elijah. It says very clearly, 
They never die. God is ready for them, and he, because of their life, because of the times, many, many factors, he's took them, he's took them off the earth. They never die. So Ben was smart guy for sure, but no, even death and taxes are not certain. Friend, there's only one thing that is, and that is Jesus Christ. Christ will return. Jesus Christ will return. And I think a lot of us here, we, we wish he did already come back. We, we wish he'd have come back sooner. We don't like to wait. <laughs> I read about a man who uh, went to see the doctor, and he, he was in the waiting room for hours. And, and finally the doctor saw him, and the doctor apologized, and, and he said, well, okay. He said, I just thought you might prefer treating my disease in its earliest stages instead of me waiting. And sometimes we think, well, Jesus, uh, you know, he's just running behind. He's behind schedule. No, Jesus Christ will come when the time is right. There are 52 prophecies about Jesus' second coming. 535 verses in the, in the Bible talk about his second coming. God kept repeating it over and over again. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every prophecy about his first coming, and he's going to fulfill every prophecy about his second also. And, and, and let's be honest, as believers, we still get so caught up in all the temporary stuff of life that we fail to live for the greatest event of all, that Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. And then all that other stuff won't matter now. Verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And there's the third thing, what we want to talk about today. Jesus' followers will be raptured. Jesus' followers will be raptured. Now, Wait a minute, that word rapture is not in there. What's that all about? What is the rapture? The word rapture is actually, the root of it is a Latin word, okay? When the uh, New Testament was translated into Latin, the Latin Vulgate, uh, the Latin word for those two words caught up is raptus, all right? And rapture is the English equivalent. So does the Bible talk about the rapture? Now, well, if you look up a concordance, you won't find the word, but that is the Latin slash English word. So what is the rapture? What's it all about? What does God say is going to happen to those who ask Jesus to be their Savior and Lord and they live their life following him. What happens to Jesus' followers? 
One day the clouds are going to break and Jesus will come from heaven. Now, 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the first coming. Second coming, he is coming. He will return to rapture, to catch up those who have confessed their sins and asked Christ to be their Savior and their Lord. So what's the rapture? It's Jesus snatching away his bride. You see, the Bible goes on to say that one day God is going to pour out his wrath against sin, against rebellion against him, against those who refuse to accept his son, those who reject his son as the Savior, as the King of God's kingdom. In the world, the Bible says, it will get worse and worse and worse. And if you've lived long, you have certainly seen that trend. But it will get far worse than that. And if you read the book of Revelation, you will find the terrible things that will happen as God begins to purify, to judge, all right? The rapture is Jesus rescuing his bride. Just like if my bride was in danger, I would do my very best to rescue her. Well, Jesus Christ is going to come and rescue his bride from the terrible judgments that this godless world will suffer. In First Thessalonians and many other passages, God tells us that the rapture will be visible and personal. It's not just some you know, spiritual, you know, analogy. It's not just, no, it's visible. It's personal. It is real. Jesus is really coming back with that glorified body. The Lord himself, it says, will descend from heaven. And then the dead in Christ, those who, those who are believers, those who followed Christ during life, but they've died. They're going to be resurrected first, but then immediately after that, we who are still alive will be caught up, raptured with them. That's what the rapture is. Now, most people think that the world is going to come to a uh, very abrupt halt. That there's going to be a nuclear war that just renders the planet inhabitable or that we're going to be invaded by extraterrestrial beings and you know life just suddenly will be inhabitable here on earth or some people believe that one day God's just going to get so fed up he's just going to send a big ball of fire to burn it all up all right but the Bible's clear there are many stages there are many things that happen in this whole process of the second coming. The second coming is a long period of time before the earth is destroyed. But do you know what's one of those first events to take place? The rapture. In fact, it may be the very next thing to take place. And a lot of people laugh at that idea. doesn't matter whether you laugh at it or not. 
what matters? Do we live for it? The way we live, are we basing our life on that? We need to get ready. <laughs> That's the theme of First Thessalonians. Get ready. Get ready. It's, this is going to happen. When this happens, nothing else matters. Get ready. How do we get ready? I'll say one thing, then we'll close with a, a, another thing. How do you get ready? ABC is a simple way for me to remember it. A, we admit we're sinners. You know, most people think that they're good enough to get to heaven on their own. I've tried to give a good life. I've done more good things than bad things and never robbed a bank, never killed anybody. Admit you're a sinner. It doesn't deserve a perfect place because you're not perfect. Admit you're a sinner because that's the only reason why Jesus would have died that terrible death on the cross because there was no other way that you and I could be saved. If you and I could be saved by being good, God would have never sent his son to die like that. Admit you're a sinner. B, believe in Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He's not like any other religious founder. He was born of a virgin. He's the only begotten son of God. He's the only religious founder that rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead to demonstrate that he's the Savior, the Son of God. Believe in him. See? Commit your life to him. You commit your life to living differently. This life is not all there is. There's a life to come that's far more important. I'm not the master of my own fate. I'm not the captain of my own soul. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the King. And I serve Him. Jesus Christ is coming again. And all the powers of hell and earth can't stop Him. And when the rapture occurs, Christians are removed. And the world's going to wonder. It, and it, it says that that rapture, that catching up of Christians is going to be instantaneous. And, and unbelievers won't see Jesus. And they'll wonder where all the Christians are suddenly. And they'll say, oh, extraterrestrials came and took them or, you know, whatever else. So try. No, friend. The Christians are going to be removed. His bride will be removed as Jesus snatched it up. And the world is going to wonder, but friend, they're going to suffer. But Christ followers, we get to experience the most awesome and wonderful event of all, of your whole life. Most awesome and Wonderful event, and the event you should live for is not when you graduate. It's not when you get a job. It's not when you buy a house. It's not when you get married. It's not when you have children or grandchildren. It's not when you retire. It's when the clouds break apart, and there's Jesus. Why, why is it the most awesome event you'll ever experience? You're going to see Jesus face to face. You've never seen him before. 
You've read all about him. You know what he did. You know what he did for you. You've never seen him. You're going to see him face to face. We get all excited when we see a famous person. You know, sometimes, you know, I do uh, small group questions and a lot of times. And, you know, one of them uh, is, uh, uh, did you ever meet a famous person? And we enjoy talking about we saw somebody or we met someone or we talked to somebody. Friend, one day you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see the Son of God. The one who died in your place, died for your sin. You're going to see him. You're going to see him forever. If you've accepted Christ, living for him. The rapture will be the most awesome experience you'll ever, you'll ever experience. Because you are going to become like Jesus, the Bible tells us. You're going to be given in a Christ-like spirit. I mean, you and I, we have problems with anger, and we have problems with worry, and we have problems with pride, and we have problems with lust, and, you know, uh, arguing. and uh, Just all right, don't we? Don't we all? You know, one day in heaven... You're never going to worry about it. You're never going to experience sin in your life again. You're going to have a totally Christ-like spirit and attitude, and that's, why, that's how heaven can be perfect, because we'll be like Jesus. You're going to get a totally glorified body. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, I, could, I could use a new one myself, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us, we're not all going to die, all right? Some don't be raptured, okay? But we are all going to be what? We'll be transformed. We're going to get a glorified body like Jesus. It's going to happen in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Your body, your transformed body, is going to have new strength. You're going to be given new strength. You're going to be given a new shape. I'm excited about that. You're going to, you're going to be given new teeth. You, did you know that? Yeah. We eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've got to have heavenly teeth to do that. Some of you are going to get new hair. That'll be exciting, won't it? All right? We just, it, you're going to have a glorified body. A body that's never going to age. A body that's never going to be in pain. Revelation 21.4 says, Jesus will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. No more pain. For all those old things have passed away. And you're the most awesome event in your life. You'll be reunited with loved ones in heaven who were Christ's followers. Verse 17 says, we're going to be caught up together with Christians. We're going to be caught up with Christ, with fellow believers. Christian, you're going to get to hug that deceased parent again who knew Jesus. That child who died. That brother, that sister. That friend who's a Christ follower. 
We're going to be reunited. Why is the rapture the most important event in your life? The event that really we should plan our life around because we're also going to be audited and rewarded. The Bible says it's appointed for everybody to die once and then after that, the audit. After that, the judgment, it literally says. Okay, do you know we're going to be judged? Well, we're not going to be judged for our sins because they were judged on the cross. And if we accepted Jesus, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God doesn't have a list of your sins he's going to read to you and embarrass you, okay? If you put those under the blood of Jesus, then he's put them under the blood of Jesus. But we're going to be judged or audited, I think maybe is a word we better understand for our service. Did we serve Jesus while we're here? Or did we just live for self? Revelation 22, Jesus said, I'm coming soon and I will bring my rewards with me to give to each one according to what he has done. And friend, I, I bring this up because, you know, sometimes we as Christians, we just think, well, yeah, I mean, the only important thing is just to say the prayer, you know, just to get into heaven. I've heard Christians say, well, you know, I'll die just as long as I get in by the skin of my teeth. When we see Jesus, every one of us will wish we deserved him more. We'll wish we deserved the one who served us with his last drop of blood here on earth. When? when when's this going to happen? When will the rapture occur? Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. Someone said he was coming, I think it was a day in March. I did, when I hear someone make a prophecy, a prediction that Jesus Christ is going to come on that day, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be that day. Because Jesus said, no one knows the days or the hour. God withholds the date. He does not tell us the date. But God tells us the signs. I am going to go through these really, really quickly, okay? This is not, uh, you'll have more questions than answers after, uh, to this. But, but did you know God tells us the signs? He does. Doesn't give us a date, gives us a sign. One of them is Israel, he said Israel will be reborn as a nation. That happened in 1948. After 2,000 years without a country, Israel was born again, reborn as a nation that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11 in 1967 <coughs> excuse me during uh, the war the six day war Jerusalem was retaken by the Israelis and has become a Jewish city again and Jesus said that would happen in Luke chapter 21 and what three weeks ago the embassy US embassy was moved to Jerusalem uh, we just see more and more God bringing these things to pass. Another sign, global decimation. In Matthew chapter 24, it's a long chapter, Jesus talked about how the earth was going to be destroyed. Now, for the last 60 years, 
uh, the U.S. and Russia had nuclear weapons, enough to destroy the human race, okay? Now other countries have joined the nuclear club, Great Britain, China, France, Israel, North Korea, India, Pakistan, and unfortunately soon Iran. Is that how, is that the fate we're going to suffer? God's word says Jesus Christ is going to save his followers from annihilation. More signs. Rise of Russia. Ezekiel chapter 38 prophesies how Magog will rise in the north and then will ally itself with Middle Eastern countries like Iran and others, okay? Magog has, is referring to Russia. It's referring to Russia. Daniel also prophesied about that. And Russia continues to be that power, that sleeping giant, but one day it will erupt. Revelation also says that there will be, at the, for the Battle of Armageddon, there will be a, a human army, a real army. It will have 200 million soldiers. Now, we only have 350 million people in the United States. Okay, a, 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 an army of 200 million people? That just sounded absurd, like that couldn't possibly happen, but where could it happen? China, 1965, they had enough to have a 200 million soldier army. Bible talks very clearly about the Roman Empire being revived, okay? And that would refer to Europe. And uh, most people think that the you know, European Union is just a, a, uh, the beginnings of that. Uh, as Europe unites uh, to dominate and control the world. A.B. Simpson was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. <coughs> he was pastor in New York City in the late 1800s, early 1900s. His sermons were so powerful that the New York Times would often print them in Monday's edition of the newspaper, the New York Times. Reporters one time asked A.B. Simpson, they said, hey, when's Jesus Christ going to return? A.B. Simpson, I will tell you, I'll give you the answer if you promise you will print it. They said, we will. He quoted Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, where Jesus said, The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, and then the end will come. That's possible now because of internet, because of uh, worldwide communication, satellite, because of all the uh, missionaries, international workers that are sent out. The gospel will go to every nation. One more sign. There's many, many more. But you've probably heard of this, 666. Revelation chapter 13 says that the Antichrist will make it impossible for people to purchase anything without the mark of the beast. And it goes on to say that somehow that involves the number 666. And we have reached an age where with, uh, you know, uh, with electronics, with computerized banking, internet, product codes, scanners, digital networks, where 
of every every possible financial traction a transaction can be tracked he's coming and jesus christ is coming before all of the events all of the events of the second coming there is nothing in the bible that must occur before jesus christ comes again for his own is today the day now i would doubt that maybe I, I, probably there are none of us who woke up this morning and our first thought was is jesus christ coming today we probably thought oh no the, it's time to get up or maybe oh it's father's day or whatever Perhaps none of us here today even thought that it might happen today. You know what? Jesus said he's coming at an hour we least expect it. That qualifies today as a pretty good day he could come. Are you ready? Jesus said, get ready. The Son of Man will come at an hour. When you least expect it. Back to the question. Well, what do we have to do to get ready? Two things. Turn from sin. Turn from sin and follow the Savior. He's the only one that can get you through heaven's gates. He's the only one that God is going to open those gates for. His own son and anyone following him. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? But friend, it's for those who are following him. And let me, let me just ask you. The way you're living today. Would you want to meet Jesus today? Is there something in your life you would just be so embarrassed? So sad. That Jesus Christ came today. There's a sin in your life. There's a conflict you haven't resolved. There's a thing you haven't done. Get ready. Today's the day to do that. Today's the day. Turn from sin. We're followers of Jesus. We can't be following sin. Let's follow our Savior. Second thing, tell. We're here because we're supposed to be telling others. That's what Windshape is all about this week. 440 kids are going to hear about Jesus. Their parents are going to hear about Jesus on the ride home. That, that's our mission. We're here to tell. We're here to tell. I had a neighbor and loved the guy because <laughs> he was always fixing my house. He was just a wonderful neighbor. 
We would talk. I'd try to talk to him about spiritual things. He just, he never responded. Didn't seem like he was interested at all. Came a time when uh, we were going to move. And I just said, God, just please help me. Please help me, just because I want to see Jerry in heaven. And that's what I told him. I said, Jerry, you know, we've talked a lot. I, I just appreciate you so much. And we've talked a lot. And knowing I've talked to you about the Lord, I said, Jerry, I just want to see you in heaven. I want you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He didn't say anything. I saw him six months later, and he was with someone else. And he introduced me. And he said, hey, this is my former neighbor, Ron. He introduced me to Jesus. I'm sure there are people in your life that you've tried to witness to, and maybe nothing seemed to have worked at this point. Maybe you could tell them, I sure do want to see you in heaven. I sure do want to see you in heaven. Jesus Christ is coming. Let's pray. Friend, I, I hope you'll put away every other distraction right now. Because th this is too important for you to be thinking about anything else. This is your eternity. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? no other way for you to get to heaven <laughs> and Jesus is the way God loves you so much he gave you the way accept him as your savior now but Christian turn from sin there's something going on in your life right now that you don't want Jesus to come and catch you in that today's the day Today's the day to turn away. And today's the day for us to tell all those about Jesus. Father, I praise you. You are awesome in your love, in your grace, in your mercy. You sent your own son to die on a cross, and that's where I deserve to be. That's where we all deserve to be. But you put your son there because you love us so much. And you offer us a gift of eternal life. And he died. <laughs> but you raised him. And you're going to raise Christ's followers. And the clouds are going to break apart. And there's Jesus. And nothing else will matter at that point. Oh, God, we want to be ready. That's what you're telling us. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Do it today. If Jesus doesn't come today, you've gotten ready. You've taken that step. God, help us to do it. This week, as the, the wind-shaped team and our volunteers are here, Lord, to, to tell uh, people about your son, Jesus, 
God, use it in a powerful way. Use us in the office. Use us on the street. Use us with our family members, our friends. God, use us to get the good news out that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And we're ready. And we want to see him. And we're ready to meet him. And oh God, I just thank you. I thank you so much. This is the gospel. This is the truth. This is the ultimate issue of our life. And we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' precious and awesome and holy name, amen. Amen.